Okie dokie. So, uh, let's waste no more time. So, uh, hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today, I am absolutely delighted to be joined by uh, Jose Vega, who is an activist and man who came across uh, my desk after he crashed uh, an event with editors of the New York Times, Washington Post, uh, LA Times and Reuters to complain about their absolutely horrendous coverage of many of the biggest stories um, over the past few years. So yeah, man, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. So, so yeah, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the video uh, for people and I'm just going to share my screen so that you can see it too. Mr. Khan, come on, you know, you're the executive head of the New York Times, you know. I'm just trying to get into some good trouble here, man. Woo. Listen, Karen, get out of my face for a second. I got to talk to these gentlemen. <clears throat> well, I just want to hear what they have to say. Go ahead. I'm done. Wait your turn. Wait your turn. Wait your turn. You could you could project if we can't. Yeah. So thank you. I do think that we need to give our moderator a chance to ask one question. We're on the verge of World War Three. Let's go. Let's go. Say something about this bombing. We blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. Listen, don't stand there while there are people rotting in prison. Nobody said anything about Uhuru, right? The socialists who are in jail for being critical of this war? God damn it! Okay, well, that gives people, uh, that'll give people a good enough, uh, good enough taster of what you're all about. So, um, yeah, so I think then my first question is, uh, what made you decide to, to confront these people? Um, I think it's just been the all overall utter failure to actually accurately report what's going on, but also just being, um, stenographers for the deep state and the government at this point, they don't present anything that's actually challenging the narrative. They don't present anything that, um, you know, is actually daring to ever speak out against the empire. Um, and the biggest example of that you see is that Seymour Hersh's piece on the fact that we blew up the Nord Stream pipeline was not covered in mainstream media, only on Fox News of all places was it actually covered in. So it's a big problem that, um, um, you know, you don't have a media that people can actually trust anymore. And so now it, relying on people to be independent journalists and so me going there and deciding to stand up to them was well basically me announcing the fact that they've already died in the sense that nobody cares what they have to say anymore and it's becoming evident that they're getting everything wrong and that it's becoming obvious how complicit they are to aiding the narrative um of whatever the government wants there to be out to be put out yeah, it's really, 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 I don't, do you think they think that they are doing good things? Like, do you think that they think they're doing quality journalism? No, I think they know that they're, well, 
maybe not the the lower level people like the people who might be in the managerial class or maybe even the people who are just like the editors or not the editors but like the writers themselves right maybe they think at least some of these lower level people think like oh well i have these high level contacts you know you know because when they always have like an unnamed source that's just some cia agent or some fbi agent or whatever right and so the lower level people might be thinking, wow, look, it's pretty cool. I have somebody give me insider information and I can't tell them what to say or do. But the upper level people are very complicit in knowing that what they're being told is just straight up lies and just being told um, uh, what that they just need to say, whatever the narrative is. Yeah. Like, do you think the narrative, wh where do you think the narrative comes from primarily? Like, is it? Because there's like a couple of possible sources. Like it could be like direct government influence. Oh, you've got a car. Lovely. What's her name? His name's Ozymandias. Ozymandias. Love it. Yeah. Oh, there is a cat somewhere in this flat, but I don't know if he's going to join us. <laughs> um, but uh, so like it could be things being handed down from like directly from like, you know, Democrat insiders or Republican insiders or people, you know, directly working in the White House or it could be um, pressure from advertisers, um, whether that's mm -hmm. like big tech or whether that's, say, um, like big financial firms who maybe make a lot of investment in, in or um, people just big uh, financial firms with, you know, money and money invested in some of these institutions or, or people like um, Jeff Bezos owning the Washington Post or it could be like Operation Mockingbird style like intelligence agency influence or it could just be groupthink so like what is your sense that is is like the primary driver of the fact that they're so divorced from reality well everything you have to realize that they're putting out there and are talking about is that they're trying to keep people in a matrix and the place it's coming from is the apparatus and this, what people call the military industrial complex, but what, you know, former CIA agent Ray McGovern calls the Mickey mat. It's the media institutes, think tanks, um, uh, the military component of it. I mean, he, he says it's, it's the, in the media, of course, he says it all plays a big role after 2008 when obama expanded excuse me 2009 obama had expanded the um patriot act to make it legal again for the united states to propagandize its own country so before it was legal for the united states to propagandize other countries which is where you get radio free asia from radio free europe from anything that has radio free is united states government funded uh, propaganda and um, that stuff was uh, legal and so now it's legal to do it here in the United States ever since Obama expanded the Patriot Act and uh, ever since and but even before then you had Operation Mockingbird you had the the former CIA chief I forget which one I think it was Colby who said you know we'll know that we'll we're successful when the American public believes whatever the hell we want them to believe um, so you have a, it's it's not really a sh i mean people like to say it's like a shadow government um it's not necessarily so shadow it's actually very sh it's not a shadow it's it's actually shallow um you know when you actually start like naming names of 
people who it actually is it's it's um it's not anyone actually in our own government i mean you have to look at stuff like the transatlantic council you start looking at things like you know the british influence and role that they have in the united states the media is just one key player but it's not the biggest player it's coming from you know places like you know the the british and the united states the the, the defense department right it's a whole big agenda that they just decide to disseminate around their media so that's where it's all coming from it goes beyond just corporate lobbyists i mean yes that is a problem yes that is a thing and they pretty much own all of our congress but you know most of congress members today don't make any laws they don't know what the hell they're mostly voting on most of the time they're just told what to vote on and then they do mm. yeah it's interesting you mentioned the cia um the public believe in whatever they they would like the public to believe because the the thing that's interesting me a lot in america right now is what's going to happen in the democratic primary and the one of the most interesting things about it is is watching um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. just come straight out and be like, yeah, no, the CIA killed my dad. Or my uncle, mm. I think. Sorry, I'm not sure if he said definitely his dad, but his uncle. He did say his uncle. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I believe that the people who killed his dad were the same people who killed his uncle. You know, it was all part of the same apparatus. I mean, you know, Bobby Kennedy, not, not RFK Jr., but his father. Mm -hmm. Um... I mean, the original plan, at least from what I've read, was that JFK was going to be president for eight years and then Bobby Kennedy was going to be president for another eight years. So kind of starting a, a Kennedy dynasty there. That was their their ultimate goal. Um, and then when Bobby Kennedy in 68 announces he's going to run for president two months later, he's shot and killed. I mean, you know, that sends a very clear message that the same people who killed Ken JFK wanted to kill his father also i wanted to kill bobby kennedy so the kennedys have a curse where they're just killed um and actually what rfk jr said that he remembers his father getting on the phone saying did our guys do this provides a lot more context as to who really was responsible for bobby kennedy's death and bobby kennedy's assassination um you know, it it it's it was the same people um, that that actually did it. And, um, uh, you know, in terms of like the Democratic primary and stuff, I mean, things are definitely getting spicy because of what RFK Jr. is saying. But I think the important thing to kind of realize is to take it out of the, the two party system, take it out of the Democratic Party. They're not going to let anybody win in the DNC that they don't want to win, mm. you know. Uh, there's a podcaster named Savvy Sabs who had on some election lawyers where they proved that the Democratic Party is a private entity, right? So if they wanted to, they really could just say, no, 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 we are going to go with whoever we want at the end of the day, on top of the fact that they have like a superdelegate system. So in the primaries, like all the superdelegates can go to whoever the hell, you know, they, they tell them to go to. So you don't have a fair system of elections here. In the United States. And so I think it's a tragedy that RFK Jr., who, you know, I mean, I like him as a person, but I don't trust the party. And I don't agree with everything he says, but 
you know, what he has been saying about, you know, the CIA killing his uncle is, is definitely a big, big deal. Um, I just think that people need to kind of let go of the two party system altogether or else it's going to be what kills us. Maybe RFK could punch the primary. I, I don't know. I mean, one poll I saw said that he was rivaling Biden in really? the polls, and another one says he's like, yeah, it was by it was done by this group called Rasmussen. Yeah, um, and Rasmussen polling is very, um, I don't know, they have like a right wing bent, um, but they included, yeah, they they it was something like RFK was at thirty six percent, and Biden was at thirty five percent. And then something like 16% of people wanted Marianne Williamson and the rest weren't sure or don't know. Um, and, uh, you know, then another poll came out saying, no, actually, RFK Jr. is at 11%. But that one was done by like a heavily DNC funded survey. So hmm. I, you don't I don't really know. You really don't know. You really don't know. I, it just it's maybe they're just trying to fit in the propaganda, but it, it's still very early. And also the fact that the DNC has said there will be no debates is absolutely absurd absurd because they don't want to expose the fact that biden doesn't know what the hell he's talking about most of the time yeah so there's definitely no debates like they're they're, they're just not going to do it that might change if people make enough rackets well, about it but right now it's the case that there will be no debates mm, wow yeah democrat yeah <laughs> Mario Wilson was complaining. Yeah, and I also wanted to say, um, yeah, there was the that podcast you were talking about. Um, I just wanted to pull up for people here. Um, was uh, they argued the Democratic uh, National Committee argued in court basically that they don't owe anyone a fair primary process, um, which is, uh, I mean, we didn't think they they really did, but I mean, yeah, yeah. and my my hope. Or my suspicion, honestly, is that RFK will not win the primary within the Democratic Party. Um, and what will happen is, I think, and I think he probably knows that as well, unless he's really thinking he can pull it out the bag, right? I think what's going to happen is he will use the primary as a springboard to run an independent campaign. That's what I would suspect will happen because he's not talking just to, like, he's talking... He's talking to some of the faction that like Bernie Sanders might have appealed to, but he's also talking to a lot of different independent and even like Republican leaning people. Like, like he's at the Bitcoin conference right now. Like that's just, that, that, there's not a lot of Democrats at the Bitcoin conference, right? And he's speaking there and he's like being like, look, I believe in your right to, you know, have a node, um, have your own wallet, not have it taxed. Um, that's your money. Uh, so, so he's courting like a really interesting coalition of people. And that suggests to me that he's not thinking solely about the democratic primary at the minute. Um, yeah, I saw that the libertarians really like him too. Mm -hmm. And I've heard rumors that they might want to put him on their line so they can keep their party status in certain States. Because here in the States, if you want to be a party, you need to have a candidate who, and it's different in every state. I know here in New York, who will be polling or get at least 2% of the votes. So obviously RFK Jr. will get at least 2% of the votes in a primary here um, and in the general. So I think that's, you know, I, I mean, I mean, you're right. He is trying to go for this coalition of people. I, again, do not trust the party. And also, 
I think there's people who think like, and I might be wrong about this, but I've heard, you know, Brianna Greyjoy talk about how it's a good thing that other people are challenging Biden, like Marianne Williamson or RFK Jr., because it might influence Biden to do some policies or push him to the left or or and maybe I'm misrepresenting her view. And if so, I, I apologize for that. But this is this is what I thought I heard. And my reaction to that was like, well, it's not that Biden is now going to say, "Uh oh, I'm getting, you know, uh, uh, I'm getting somebody's going to challenge me. Now I'm going to go and do some of the promises I said I was going to do. It's OK. How do we play dirtier? How do we get them out of the primary altogether? How do we make sure that they don't? Win? It's not, you know, it's not going to change any kind of policy. I mean, if it was just an and it was just an honest system, maybe, but it's just going to make them play even dirtier. Yeah, that that is a concern of mine, if I'm honest. Uh, but well, I guess we'll see what happens. Really, I mean, I I I am skeptical that Joe Biden will make it to the end of the primary. Um, thing i i i just i can't see him getting through it like i think they'll get him to withdraw on medical grounds because like they'll say oh he's you know something's happened and things have got much worse for him health-wise and they'll be forced to to pull out and they'll i don't know who though i don't know who they they put in instead i mean my my suspicions would be they will try to put pete Buttigieg in for some reason um and no one will like him they will try and put Gavin Williamson in, or sorry, not Gavin Williamson, Gavin um, Gavin Newsom. Newsom. Yeah. Um, then I think maybe uh, what's his name, the billionaire uh, Bloomberg. He might he might give it a shot. And I'm thinking left field out of the blue might be a Michelle Obama run. Um, those would be my suspicions for who who could possibly. You see, that would make. That would make even in a sick, twisted society that would make sense. But we're beyond a sick, twisted society. I don't know if you saw these pictures of Diane Feinstein being wheelchaired into the Senate at like 89 years old and one of her eyes is closed. And then she's like being interviewed. And then they say, yeah, so, you know, what was it like being away for two weeks? What was the reaction from your colleagues being away for two weeks? And then she says, what are you talking about? I've been here the whole time. And then they're like, she's like, I've been working the whole time. And then they're like, oh, oh, you mean like working from home? No, I've been here. I've been voting. If you don't know, then then you don't know. And then like her aide had to come away and wheelchair her away. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous that you have. Um, and like, no, no hate to John Fetterman at all. Like, you know, hey, he needed some mental health help. You know, he needed and he got the help he needed. But what we see in the Democratic party is people who are so desperate and it's not it probably isn't even diane feinstein it probably is not her who's making that decision to stay in there although it's probably painted that way they need her in there because they probably need her vote that's all it is right yeah i'm sure this lady can't even tell where she is half the time so they just kind of like it's like a a weekend at bernie's (laughs) situation where they're just like okay auntie diane just put your thumb up for yes please or put thumb down for no okay and and that's that's all it is at this point. I, I don't think she has the mental capacity to really figure out or even read what kind of bill she's voting on. She's probably just being told, or her office, I should say, is being told what she needs to vote on and vote, vote on party lines. Yeah, it's absolutely absurd to me. Because, like, 
it kind of happens here in the United Kingdom, but not in the same way. Like, we have some old politicians, right? Um, like, we had uh, Dennis Skinner, was a fantastic, fantastic Labour MP. Uh, was, you know, he, I think he was like 80-something when he when he finally uh, retired. I've got to look that up. Um, but, like, he he's an outlier. There's very few... Um, yeah, sorry, served 49 years from 1970 to 2019. And he was born 32, so I would have made him... Quick maths, 90... Whoa, 91 he is now? So he would have been in Parliament till he was 87? Okay, so we're talking Diane Feinstein age, to be quite honest. But he was still <laughs> he was still sharp as a tack, right? And he was the outlier, yeah, right? that's not... No, that... that, that... It makes sense to me. And I mean, if you're thinking about posterity in the future, hopefully you'll have a system where people can actually live longer, look younger and still be mentally sharp. Right. Mm. You know, people's lifespans far in the future. I mean, I hope it's soon. I mean, I don't want to die, but like, you know, hopefully people's lifespans will be increased indefinitely or at least, you know, within the next. I mean, scientists have said the first person who's going to live to be 150 years old is already alive. Yeah. Right. Um, 150. And, you know, there's. You know, there's going to be people who are scientists who are going to discover something that will slow our aging process down. So, you know, maybe in the future, it's going to it won't be as shocking to say we have a 120 year old senator and they only look like, you know, they're like 40 or 50 years old and their mind is still there. I mean, it's a very exciting prospect of anything. Yeah, actually. So, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, yeah. I have no problem with people who are old no. Because that term is going to get redefined as we go on in the future. But if we're thinking in contemporary sense, yeah, man, a 90-year-old person who can't even walk or think or doesn't even remember what, you know, where, what they had for breakfast 30 seconds ago should not be in the office. You know, it's like a, it's like a King Lear situation. Yeah, you know? I mean, like, it's great. theoretically, you could say, right, that they are one of the 540 most... They're one of the 540 people who have their their fingers on, like, or their, their hands on the levers of power in the most powerful country on the planet. It makes it seem like they should have their shit together in their head, at least. Um, well, it tells you, like, what what's happened to the population. That's That's what's more telling about it. You know, here in the United States, there's debates about term limits. Should we have mm -hmm. term limits, you know? And in one sense, I understand the argument because somebody like Nancy Pelosi should have been out of office for a long time ago. Yeah. My usual response is you do have term limits. It's called elections. You know, it's 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 like you can you have the power to determine whether or not that person should even be there anymore or not. Mm -hmm. So it goes to tell you, like, a lot of the problem isn't. Yes, it's the people in power. Yes, it's the people who have the authority. Uh, but it's also the population who has chosen to just let the country run amok the way it has. And, you know, it's it, we we have let it get to this point because we kind of just like let go of everything and just said, fuck it. You know what? We're just not going to hold our government responsible anymore. Yeah. And part of that is because of because of what happened in the 60s. I mean, you had assassinations after assassinations after assassinations that really rocked the nation. Okay, you had Patrice Lumumba, 61, Dag Shammerhold, also 61. Um, and I know there's some speculation as to whether or not he was actually assassinated. I do believe he was. 
and it was all related to Congo, so it had to be that. Mm -hmm. Then you had um, Kennedy, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr. Then you had Bobby Kennedy. Um, there was that guy from the Black Panthers who was also shot and killed, whose name I forget. Um, and then you had a whole bunch of African leaders getting assassinated. What you had was a paralyzed nation after the 60s that was just like, what the hell? Anybody who's challenging power in any way is getting their crosshairs set. And then you also had like the the baby boomer, like, you know, hippy dippy love, you know, pacify everybody movement that really fucked up the entire um, state of mind of the United States and of the world, really, of like the Western world, too, because I'm sure it happened in the UK also. And I'm a secret hippie. Like... <laughs> <laughs> My point is, though, that like it seemed as if people just did not care anymore about government or politics and were just like, we're just going to live off the land man, and we're just going to, you know, do our own thing and not, you know, care about government anymore. And then all those hippies grew up to be Republicans who were like Reaganites and now mm. they're all a mess. Yeah. Yeah, they really went from free love to let's destroy the economy <laughs> very quickly, mm -hmm. didn't they? <laughs> when you put it like that, yeah, they all became, yeah, the boomers that we're looking at now, uh, well, I guess they weren't all hippies, or not many of them would probably admit to it. Um, but yeah. so, like, yeah, but it, 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 I'm not sure if you can 100% blame all the people because it's like, it almost has to get to a point where things get too bad, where enough people are like, right, okay, enough of this shit. And 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 I think at the minute we're in a we're in a cycle of testing how bad that where um, we're we're like we're gonna find out where that line is at some point in the next five to ten years, <laughs> um, unless something drastic changes. But it's like right, look at the the last the last two elections in in America. You've got 2016, okay, people tried to vote for Bernie, something different, something that wasn't just the corporate oligarchy again, right? And yeah, I was a Bernie bro. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hate that term, man. It's like, I liked his policies. I thought he was a guy who actually cared. Like, I don't have to be a fucking bro. And there's a lot of people who weren't bros. Who You know, it's, it was such a stupid term that people fucking, why do they have to like, name everyone you know why can't they just be fans of someone <laughs> anyway yeah. uh, but yeah also a bernie pro uh, <laughs> but the um he was actually the first person i voted for in a primary i wasn't 18 yet but new york has a thing where if you're going to be 18 um uh before the year is up you can vote so you so 17 year olds can vote so I he I gave him my first vote as a Democratic primary guy. Oh, that's cool. But yeah, like he he was, and then we yeah. we had a similar movement in the UK with with Jeremy Corbyn. It was like a an old old school like left wing, but like not completely crazy politician who uh, just seemed to care about people and had stuck by his principles for four years. And and both of them sort of simultaneously came so close and and didn't quite get over the line. 
Um, but but yeah, so in 2016, first yeah, the the attempt to have something not the corporate oligarchy, Bernie gets screwed because the Democrat because the DNC, right? And that yeah. the coverage isn't good. Like people really don't understand what happened. They just think he lost because he lost, right? Um, and there might be an an element to that, but but ultimately, I think he was kind of screwed out of it. And with a fair and open well thing, he the, would have the won. WikiLeaks showed that he was, you know, done dirty that the dnc and hillary clinton conspired against his campaign uh, but that's that's the that's the kind of the thing i'm getting at is that like people only go for what's presented to them like shadows in a cave like that's the matrix right um even if bernie sanders looked like a good candidate i mean he then would bend over and then endorse hillary clinton and then do it again mm. uh, in 2020 endorsing biden and then he never raised a ruckus about the fact that the DNC conspired against his campaign. I mean, it was just completely terrible that he never said a, a mumbling word about it. And so I lost a little bit of respect for him. Um, I would say, though, that, like, I think James Bevel, who was a civil rights leader who worked closely with my organization, the Schiller Institute, would often say that people are responsible for 51% of their oppression. Because if you know you're being oppressed, if you know you're being done an injustice, you have a responsibility to fight against it. And if you just sit down and take it, well, then it is on you. And so the first step is to actually stand up and then decide I'm not going to be oppressed anymore. And then you get rid of 51% of the oppression there. Then the rest of the fight is actually trying to free others. Because as he put it, freedom is the ability to make other people free. And so that's, you know, that's that's what I live by, too. And so that's why I don't I don't believe in the corporate duopoly anymore, because I don't think that I need to be limited by what is presented to me as options. I don't I used to do this. I mean, I voted for Trump twice um, because he was the anti-establishment candidate. Right. And so that was all that was presented to me like well you know he's not hillary clinton right yeah well he's not joe biden yeah. so i was thinking like well that's the anti but now i i don't vote for who i think is more likely to win and needs to win right like if i was if i was still thinking in the same mindset i had three years ago i would be a big rfk guy right now yeah i'd be saying like and, and i like rfk don't get me wrong but I would be thinking like, well, out of all the options, I think RFK Jr. is the best option we have, so I need to go and vote for him. I'm, that's, you know, I'm going to vote for who I think should be in office, not who I think maybe could. No, mm -hmm. that's that's just how I, I, I will, you know, and if that means voting for some nobody whose name nobody knows, but declared they're running, that's, that's what I'm going to do, you know, and so, yeah. and I might even campaign for them or something, so. I don't know. The whole other thing, too, is I believe that there's a power of citizenry that, as you saw exemplified in that intervention and the others, I don't know if you've seen any of the other videos that I've yeah, done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I have. Right? So it goes, you know, way, way back. I mean, I confronted Kamala Harris in 2021, mm -hmm. and then Kirsten Gillibrand, Jamal Bowman, that. AOC, Mike Pompeo. I love that The one. AOC one? Yeah, it was fucking brilliant. Because do you know why? Yeah. Because... There was like a, a, a brief, I couldn't tell you exactly how long it was, but a moment where I thought that she could actually do something. 
you know, like early when she first got elected, there was there was a period in which I was like, do you know what? Like, and and my she my, might be the Claire Daly, yeah, of, she, of just the US, just yeah. someone that come in and just you know actually stand up for like regular people and like you know do the things that that people are always pressuring the democratic like the 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 left wingers and the party to do is you know like withhold withhold your vote for speaker like you know push them for a fucking vote on the 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 issues that you campaigned your entire fucking three years up to to re-election on like call them out on it and and she just sort of got rolled up into the corporate machine um and and it was beautiful to watch someone like just point that out to her and just see her like have no idea what to say <laughs> well see that's exactly right because i thought the same thing too and when she won her primary i was going through something here in the bronx where my apartment the ceiling not this apartment this apartment's been great so far but i lived in like a very poor part of the bronx where i still live in a poor part of the bronx but um an even poorer part of the bronx where um this i was living in a basement apartment so what was happening was on my ceiling, there was some issue with the plumbing where the pipes had broken. And so all of this sewage water was pooling on the top of my ceiling. The smell was horrible. And then it was just bubbling, bubbling. And then it all just, oh, boom, popped. So I got the local media. I went to my assemblyman's office. I um, got a lawyer pro bono. Um, turns out there was black mold in the apartment. And he said, like, this is looking like a seven-figure settlement, mm. right? Because when you have black mold, right? My assemblyman told me, because I was going to him, and I was saying, like, listen, you know, I'm going through this. And he was helpful at first because he got, like, housing inspection to come in and check it out. There was a day where he told me, listen, like, uh, I see you're picking up a lot of steam. What if somebody came up to you with $15,000 just for you to let all this go and drop it? And and I swear to God, he said this. I have this on tape somewhere. I, I've been looking for this because, like, I – but he said, like – it was his chief of staff who told me this. It wasn't my assemblyman or my councilman. Hmm. My councilman's name was Fernando Cabrera, but his chief of staff name was Gregory Faulkner. He told me, what if somebody came to you with $15,000 just let all this go? I said fifteen thousand dollars isn't even enough to move out, and I told him if somebody came to me with nine hundred and ninety-nine million dollars, then maybe I would consider it, but nothing less than that. And he says, "All right, don't be ridiculous, man. You could use the money and I don't know, go back to school because I had taken off school to deal with this." Mm. And so mysteriously, that same night, he calls my mom and says, "Listen, your name's on the lease, not your son's." If you go through with this lawsuit, you will never be able to rent an apartment in New York City again because your name's going to be on the list. And no owner, no landlord wants to deal with somebody who sues landlords. So mysteriously, the night, the day after that call, the locks are changed on the apartment, which is illegal. They legally cannot change the locks unless they give you a two-week notice. I call the police at the lawyer and then the police say, well, your mom has to come because her name's on the lease. My mother says, no. Okay. The, the councilman called me and told me, no, no, we're not fighting this. Drop it. And so there I am just crying on a sidewalk and the landlord, the super, we have what we call super superintendent. Mm -hmm. is just like, you know, throwing 
dirt on my name saying, yeah, that kid's just squatting here. You know, they've been moved out of here for months now. He's lying. And I had the media there a week ago. Okay. They, anyway. And so I'm there, I'm just completely defeated and crying. And so I write an email to AOC's team um, because she had just won her primary. And I said, listen, like, I need the help. I never heard back from her team, but I, I, even then I didn't hold it against her because I was like, okay, maybe she just won getting her office set up. You know, she's got a thousand things. Right. And, uh, and you know, that's, that is still something that affects me to this day. Like there's going to be a documentary of me coming out sometime in the summer that my friends over at do dissidents. Yeah. Do dissidents. They, they're, they're a YouTube uh, podcast group and it turns out Keaton used to be a filmmaker so he chose me as his first subject for a film and uh, What's it uh, called? So I, I talk Jimmy, about it more yeah on Twitter yeah you'll you'll find them on Twitter and on YouTube also they just hit like 10,000 subscribers they're really good guys um, mm-hmm. yeah so they'll be coming out with a and then if you go scroll on their Twitter you can see clips of the background when we were when they were interviewing me and stuff but um uh, to make a long story short, like, so the effect of that, like, I was still, even then, believing in AOC. Because I thought maybe she'll enact this change. But then she voted to send money to Ukrainian Nazis. You know, then she was voting to make Nancy Pelosi Speaker of the House. She said she wasn't going to force the vote, you know. Um, and then all of a sudden, she just got washed into it. And so what I tell people about that intervention is that when Kynan and I stood up, it wasn't that she saw us. She saw the ghost of her former self. She saw herself with that same fiery passion and spirit who thought, I'm going to go into Congress and I'm going to change things. I'm going to be a radical. And so it was her conscience that she thought she had killed off speaking to her. And That's the thing. You can't really kill your conscience because it is always there nagging in the back of your mind. And so what we did was we successfully, and the reason I know this is because she initially tried to dismiss it as Kynan saying, as Kynan speaking over a deaf constituent, which was just not true. There was no deaf constituent present there. She was reading an email talking about how do we make politics more accessible for people with disabilities. And Kynan, and then Kynan stood up. But then it took her four days after the video blew up the way it did, like went viral the way it did, Mm -hmm. that she had to put out another statement, like a huge statement saying that we're Trump supporters and that we're right wingers and that we're a part of a cult and that nobody should listen to what we're saying or take seriously. And like I was like, it really messed with her that bad that she had to put out another statement. You know why she had to call us that? Because it's the only way to rectify in her mind that we're not right. Mm. That what we said was right. She knows what we said was right. But if she could, in her own mind, discredit our background from it, then maybe that makes it all the less true, which it does not. And so, you know, I believe it really messed with her conscience. And, um, you know, that is something that, to this day, see, people think like I hate AOC or something. I don't. And people think I want her to be out of office. Actually, no, I don't. Because I do think there is that woman in there who had that 
passion and spirit who, when she joined the Democratic Party and became a congresswoman, because remember, she got rid of like a top establishment Democrat, Joe Crowley. Yeah, I was going to say. Now, when she, that ha- Yeah, she primaried them, right? Yeah, she got like mm-hmm. she got the, the 10,000 signatures or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she got rid of the guy. So, you know, because she got rid of the guy, there was, she was not persona. She was persona non grata. They had to indoctrinate her in or else they were going to have to get rid of her somehow. So what happened? She uh, had to make moral concessions. She said, you know what? Like, if I want to pass the Green New Deal or get Medicare for all, I have to play the game. And so they promised her. Oh, well, no, we'll get we'll, we'll do what you want. Just you have to play with us a little bit. And over time, that builds and builds and builds to the point where you really have to make a decision in your mind. Is this right? Because remember, this was the same woman who was talking about being a one term congresswoman. Oh, I'm OK with being a one term congresswoman if it means enacting real change. Yeah, right. What have you done in one term? Nothing. You've just done the bidding of the military industrial complex. You've been a completely useful idiot. She's now, I'm not going to discount. What? She's on her fifth term now, right? Fifth term? No, wait. Yeah. Fifth. No, I think. Uh, no, no, no. She won in 2018. So one, two, okay. three, third term, third term. You know, so she's just been a useful idiot. And I don't want to discount the work she's done for her district, though. I mean, she's done some things that don't really matter at the end of the day because she's done like food drives. She's done this tutoring gig. She's attended protests and marches and stuff, unions. An infinite amount of small good actions means nothing in a society and a culture that waves and washes in just evil Malthusian practices, right? If you have food drives if you look i live in a neighborhood where there are lines wrapped around blocks for people who are going to the food pantries because they're too poor and then you have people like richie torres and aoc who say this is a success because we're giving food to our communities why do people have to line up for food in the beginning like that's a moral failure you know to say that there are more people now who rely on food stamps and snap for their for for their income Oh, it's a great thing. Our program was working. No, it's not. It shows that your country is failing, that people need, you know, these social safety benefits just to live. Like, in hindsight, yeah, there are they are a good thing because otherwise people would be starving. But it's like, well, why do people need to be on them to begin with? You know, why do you have a country where people can't sustain themselves anymore? Mm. So, you know, they all these people postulate and, and posture on Twitter, but don't actually do anything. And like I can hear, I can hear some of the right wingers in my head when whenever we talk, whenever I talk about like things like that you've mentioned, like food banks and stuff, and and they're like, oh well, you know, the people, kids of this generation, you know, they don't know how to work, or they, you know, they don't, they don't want to work, or people, people are lazy these days. And I always think it's just like, look, but like, I don't believe that people are fundamentally that different to the way they were. Uh, over most of yeah probably the entirety of human history i don't think people have changed that much i think that what what gets what gets to what you're saying here is that they there is like a rot in the in the institutions and that's like seeping out and poisoning the whole of society while people at the top like you know wave flags and pretend to be you know making things better and the rest of rest of it's just crumbling you know 
it's like it's like they're 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 painting the outside of this like castle that's fallen apart and like inside the foundations are rotten and they're like oh look it's beautiful yeah. like <laughs> exactly and so i look dude, for total transparency like when i was a teenager my mom was working two jobs and we were still going to the food pantry and we still had benefits why was that not why was one job not enough for her to sustain yeah. an apartment and me and why was two jobs not enough for her to sustain an apartment and me and not need snap benefits and also going to a food pantry it's new i mean new, well, new york city is its own thing and so when marjorie taylor green came to new york and she called it a shithole and then adam mayor eric adams and jamal bowman and aoc especially bowman, bowman was like, no man new york city's great man you know you just can't no it's not okay as somebody who lives here and who loves this place i love new york it, I know what a shithole it is, you know. It's like, it's like a. I'll give you one story before I before I have to go. Mm-hmm. When I was petitioning for Diane Sayre to run as a Senate candidate in New York, we needed forty five thousand signatures just to get her on the ballot. But that really meant we needed like eighty thousand because here in 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 the United States they have this process called challenge, where if you get forty five thousand exactly the opposing camp has a right to look at your signatures. And if they say, oh, we can't read that one, so that doesn't count, you're off the ballot. So you need at least double, right? You have to assume that 50% of your signatures will just be knocked off. I was in Harlem, 125th Street in Lenox. And that's a very notorious place because you have underage drug dealers. Okay, you have teenage kids selling drugs on the corners and the cops on another corner. Just straight up, just it's just how they do it. And so one day I'm there, I'm getting signatures from people because you needed like a, a certain like 1,500 signatures in every district. So I'm getting them for Harlem. And in front of me, I see this isn't atypical. You see this all the time in Harlem. Some guy just slumped over. So think of a guy standing upright and then his whole body's just folded over. That's just from the drugs, whatever the fuck the guy was doing. So he's just there, folded over me. And then I see a, an older guy next to me. And he's recording him like this. Okay. Maybe a guy's like in his early 50s. And so I'm watching this. And then the guy comes up to me. He's like, excuse me. Um, I want to send this video to my son. Can you help me do that? And I say, okay, sure, no problem. So, you know, I say, okay, you just got to hit send to and then pick something he's like great he says thank you the person i just sent this to is his younger brother so i want his younger brother to see what his older brother has gotten into because i don't want my younger son to be like my older son and then he uh he took his son, he like tried to lift him up and he's like, come on, son. But he was like almost dragging him on the sidewalk because he was just so high out of his mind. But the dad is like fighting to keep his son's dignity alive and trying to, you know, get him to stay upright. I couldn't petition for the rest of the day. I just sat down and I cried because of like how terrible it was. And that's happening so much to, to so many people here in New York City. And when I get told 
you know, well, you know, don't focus on government, don't focus on politics, you know, just focus on your family, you know, focus on protecting yourself. That's what Republicans say, you know, like, just focus on yourself. I said, well, isn't that guy protecting his family? Mm. The reason why his son got caught up that way is because of the open air drug trading policies that these Democrats have allowed in New York State. So, you know, I, I don't want to hear shit about having just protect your family. It, it's bullshit. So mm. that's the state of New York. Hundreds and thousands of cases like that. I got to I got to I got to get running. I got to get on a NOTA NATO rally right now. Yeah, that's all right, man. Um, Not a problem. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, So, so, so cool to get to talk to you Um, and like keep up the good work with. Yeah. Crash, no problem, crashing, brother. Let's par- crashing stay- parties. <laughs> <laughs> let's stay in contact okay yeah definitely definitely man um and yeah so i'll stick your twitter um links for uh that channel due distance in the the description for everyone um and yeah man thanks very much no problem man i'll see you hey everyone thanks for making it right the way to the end of the podcast i love that you tuned in this long do me a favor hit subscribe because 80 percent of you bastards are not subscribing but you're watching my videos see you next time